Hey there, welcome to the Cami Pentecost Podcast. Let's talk about leadership, business, life lessons, and everything in between. I'm so excited. I just have to say to you, I could not be more excited to introduce uh, my listeners to you from a standpoint of, I'll never forget when I realized you were you at the Thrive Women's Conference uh, with Nicole Crank. I'll never forget when I realized that that was you because I was like, oh my gosh, you were so humble. You literally were like talking to everybody that came around you, um, just like you were, you know, one of us kind of there for the first time. And, you know, once I realized that was you, you may not know this, but two years ago, I think it was, you were at the Global Leadership Summit Mm -hmm. and you were Mm -hmm. one of my favorite speakers of the lineup at that time. So it was just kind of like a unmet expectation. You know, it was a met unknown expectation. (laughs) It was a... Man, that's a blessing. Thank you for telling me that. (laughs) Let me go ahead and introduce you to our listeners. I'm going to use my notes here so I properly give you the good introduction. Let me introduce you, you all, to my friend and author, entrepreneur, speaker, pastor, and head of the Global Faith-Based Partnerships at Facebook, the Nona Jones. Nona, welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. I appreciate it. Well, I'm looking forward to our, just our conversation today. I think we're going to learn a lot from you as well as I just want people to hear, hear your story. I want them to follow you and learn from you because I think we are in a, aligned in a lot of ways. And so before I have you tell your uh, background, you guys, I was able to meet Nona Jones personally at the women's conference called Thrive at Faith Church with Nicole Crank. And I had the privilege of sitting on a couch with you, which kind of funny, I was supposed to be on that couch. And then they told me I wasn't on that couch. And then in the middle, they called me up on that couch. I was like a little embarrassed, but it was good. Oh gosh, Nona, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, Tell us a little bit about who Nona Jones is. And I think you're also a mom of two, right? I have two boys. Yeah, eight and 11. They recently started school. Um, And man, we are in crazy times to be starting school. (laughs) But yeah, I have two little boys um, married to the love of my life. My husband is not just my husband. He's not just my best friend. He's also my pastor. So uh, we pastor a church together in Gainesville, Florida. And, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, just really blessed. Um, in addition to the work that I do at Facebook, I have a ministry that lets me travel around the world and I get to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, in many different cultural contexts, which is kind of, uh, interesting because most people, when they find out what I do during my day job, they're always like, what do you mean you're in ministry too? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I have a very full life. Well, I would, that's probably what I'm most excited about today is I feel like for all of us, whatever our career is by day, I think all of us, especially those of us that call ourselves Christians have almost a responsibility, right? To marketplace ministry. And that's kind of what I look to you as, and I know we're going to get into that um, a little bit more here, especially in the world of social media, but help me know a little bit more about your background. Like what made you get to this point of, you know, minister, Uh, social media mogul, you know, like what has gotten you here? Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, um, let me first say this. Um, 
when people ask me to describe myself, the the words that come to mind are, I'm a statistically improbable product of grace because um, I was I was born to a mother who didn't want to have children. She had actually been married to my father for 13 years. So it wasn't like, you know, I was born into a situation where she was, you know, a single woman, but um, she grew up in a home that had a lot of violence, a lot of poverty. Uh, she had 11 brothers and sisters and her father would regularly beat her mother uh, within an inch of her life in front of all the children. And so my mom just decided at a young age that she didn't want to have children because she figured that her mother didn't leave because she couldn't afford to. So when she found out she was pregnant with me, she just, she wasn't happy. And my father though, he was very happy because he always wanted to have children. But then midway through her pregnancy, she found out uh, that my father had terminal stomach cancer and uh, he only had six months to live. And so, you know, they both were essentially having to grapple with his, his mortality. He was only 34 when he was diagnosed and he lived uh, to be 36. So he passed away um, a couple months shy of my second birthday. And it was after his funeral that my mother moved us to the other side of the country. And I remember there was a, a string of men that kind of came in and out of our lives until she met a guy who became her living boyfriend. And um, I did not like him from the very beginning. I just didn't like his spirit. Um, and she told me you know, to give him a chance because he would grow on me. Uh, but shortly after he moved in, my mother's sister passed away and I was about five and a half, almost six at that point. Uh, so she had to go back to the funeral, go back up north to the funeral. And she left me with him. Uh, and I asked her to take me with her and she said she couldn't afford another plane ticket. Um, but the very first night that she was gone, he sexually assaulted me. And um, he told me that I better not tell her because she would get rid of me if she found out. And so uh, not only did he, of course, you know, break my body, he also broke my spirit because there's this idea that I wasn't wanted. And my mother actually began to uh, reinforce that idea because she told me things like, you know, I wish you'd never been born. You know, my life would have been better if you weren't here. You're such a burden on me. Um, and and that that really, I think, birthed within me this sense of, of unworthiness um, that I carried with me for many, many years, um, even into my career. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, I had worked up the courage to tell her what he did. I was about seven. I worked up the courage to tell her. She had him arrested. And I thought it was over. Uh, but on the day of his release from jail, she took me with her to pick him up and brought him back home. And uh, the abuse resumed after that. Um, he was sexually abusive. She became physically and verbally abusive. Um, and it was just such a bad situation that at the age of nine, I tried to take my life by drinking um, laundry detergent. And uh, it wasn't successful. So I tried again at the age of 11. I tried to slip my wrists. And um, I actually have a, a scar on my left wrist that reminds me of what could have been. But I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know anything about God, Jesus, or the Bible. But uh, right after my second suicide attempt, uh, I was in the sixth grade. My classmate invited me to church. And I didn't know what church was. I thought we were going to go over her house and play uh, some games. But she invited me to church. And um, we went to the church thing and walked in the doors and the people were just so kind and loving and welcoming and affirming. And I, I felt a sense of belonging that I had never felt before. And the very first sermon that I ever heard, the pastor said, God is a father to the fatherless. Mm. And I remember thinking, well, who is God? Because I'm fatherless. And in many nights, 
I had cried myself to sleep thinking that if my father had lived, then I wouldn't have been um, exposed to what I was exposed to. And so hearing that, that's what I needed to hear. That's what my heart needed to hear. Uh, and it changed the trajectory of my life. I accepted Jesus as Lord of my life not too long after that um, and started to study the word of God for myself. And so I say that because truly I had no consciousness of God. I had no consciousness of, of Christ. He called me to himself and he redeemed uh, my story. Gosh, Nona, I'm just sitting here thinking about those that uh, meet here regularly on this podcast. And I'm thinking about the fact that, number one, how many of you have heard those words? You're not wanted. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the things that you shared that you've heard. Maybe some of you have been physically, sexually abused. Um, some of you have lost your father. And I just, number one, first and foremost, I think there's so much... Um, so many of us that can relate with some form of your story, Nona. And yet I see you not becoming a victim of those circumstances. I see you being an overcomer. I see you being a woman who has absolutely done so many things with your life. And I think you've turned that test and that, that horrible uh, part of your background into a testimony that I'm sure can encourage a lot of people today. And so it's interesting because I think a lot of people that are listening to this are people of second chances yeah. that had a profession or plan in place that they really thought was going to be their plan for life. And then they mm -hmm. find themselves, this is your, their plan B. And so mm -hmm. obviously the plan for your life was to have a father, was to grow mm -hmm. up in a home where you felt loved and um, worthy and connected. And yet that wasn't your story. And so I just want to start by saying that first and foremost is, you guys, this is a woman who has absolutely not allowed what happened to her to keep her from what God has for her. And she's used what happened in her life as a platform to speak to people that only she can speak to. And so, Nona, thank you for sharing that with us because I can't absolutely. imagine that 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 isn't a hard story to tell and obviously just equips you all the more to serve in a role like you serve in um, for Facebook. And mm -hmm. I don't want to transition too far from your story too fast. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you want to say to me, to our listeners, just about that road that you've traveled? Well, one thing I would say is, um, and so I, I wrote, I wrote and released, um, my memoir, it's called Success from the Inside Out. I released it actually last year. And I, I talked about this story because um, the Lord really, really, really redeemed me. I mean, when I was in the, the height of the abuse, I would go to school and I would be disruptive and I would um, act out. And I ended up getting labeled as a problem child. I was told I had a learning disability. I had all these people that just quickly discarded me. They would send me to the principal's office and no one ever asked why I was behaving that way. They just assumed that something was wrong with me without realizing that something had happened to me. And so um, I say that because I think there are people who are listening to this uh, that you may have, have acted out of, of pain. You may even now be acting out of pain. Um, and people, they look at your behavior and they're just so quick to write you off. But the thing is, God, he never writes us off. Like he never writes us off. Um, I was reading in the book of Jeremiah 
Jeremiah 1, 5 is a very, you know, familiar scripture, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and called you. Um, but, but there's a part of that, that we glaze over. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I called you. So a lot of times we think that you have purpose when you're in the womb, right? We think at the point of conception, you have purpose. But what that verse says is that even before you are conceived, <laughs> you have purpose. And so um, I had to discover that over years, because even though I came into relationship with Jesus and I started to learn, you know, I was fearfully and wonderfully made and I was a royal priesthood and all these affirmations that we learn, um, my heart was still broken because of what was said to me. And so I would hear those affirmations and I would hear the truth of God's word, but it was being filtered through the cracks of my broken heart. And so I didn't always receive it. And, and what happened was uh, that rejection began to fuel my ambition. So I became very successful, graduated from college at the top of my class, um, went on to corporate America. I was in an executive role at the age of 23, went on to a series of successive, uh, successive executive roles. And I think a lot of people would look at that and think, wow, she's been really successful. Um, but the problem is my success was fueled by that rejection. And there are many people who I know who achieve incredible things, but it's because we're in search of significance. Like we, we want to try to silence those voices that tell us we're not good enough, that tell us we're not wanted. And so we try to accumulate titles and positions and you know houses and cars and clothes and all this stuff around us um, because we're trying to really heal something that's broken within us. But a revelation that God gave me is that there's nothing that you can accumulate around you that will fill a deficit within you. We really need the power of God to heal what hurts us. Um, and that's something I had to learn through the years because I would, I would get the awards and the positions and the recognitions and it would be great for, you know, a couple of days, but then it would fade away and wear off. Um, and that's because there was brokenness on the inside of me that was a void and it would just kind of swallow that stuff up uh, chew it up and spit it out. You know, it didn't even matter. So I, I just say that because I think even as we start to talk about other parts of my life, um, part of the reason why I've had people tell me you're so down to earth. And I'm like, well, part of the reason for that is because I know for a fact that I'm a product of God's grace. Mm -hmm. I cannot take credit for the good that has happened out of my life because God's grace is the reason. Um, I could have and should have been, um, in a different situation. That's why I said I'm a statistically improbable product of grace. Um, 80 to 90% of the, the people in the situation that I was in end up either in jail or dead. Mm -hmm. And here I am talking to you and all these just wonderful listeners uh, about what God has done in my life. That's because of the grace of God. So I just, I just wanted to say that I, I know that and I give him glory for that. I'm literally going to quote something you said, because I know my listeners specifically are going to be able to relate with this. Cause I, I see, majority of us in some way are trying to fill a void that only God can fill That's with the, the success we're chasing. And believe me, I am all for teaching you to dream mm -hmm. bigger and you are worthy. Totally. And you know, that is absolutely still true. But how many of us have reached a, a level of success or what we thought would bring significance to only feel empty at the top of that climb and then go back searching. And so I just think so much, we always say success leaves clues. So many things that uh, Nona is sharing with us right now, I believe many of us can go, 
dang. And what that reminds me of is, I know y'all have heard me say it before, but if you're not a part of my Women at the Well group, you're going to want to make sure you are because we start every day in the word. Why? Because when you get in the word, the word gets in you mm. and it's the foundation that can heal those broken places so that you can truly go out and work out a purpose rather than working out of finding significance and healing that only God can heal. So these things always take on a little bit of a different personality, <laughs> but that's why you got to let the Holy Spirit lead, right? I love it. So good. All right. Well, talk to us about what it means. <laughs> Tell us what it means to be the head of the global faith-based partnerships with Facebook. What does that even mean? Yeah, this is the million dollar question. <laughs> Most titles at Facebook are so just ambiguous. But uh, so as the head of global faith partnerships, what 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 my team does is we work with houses of worship, um, influencers in the faith arena, music artists, um, just really most anybody and everybody that's doing anything in faith and leveraging Facebook for that, for the purpose of making sure that Facebook is meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. So um, our team is kind of like the bridge between the outside world and the product policy teams, all the inside teams at Facebook. We interface with uh, organizations, houses of worship all the time, uh, first to understand how they're using the tool and then to also provide strategic coaching on how to optimize their use of the tool with the goal of helping Facebook become better and better. Now, that's the job description on paper. Um, how I see the role is I believe that I've been placed at Facebook um, to help the church make the pivot um, into the full fullness of what I believe Jesus modeled as discipleship. And what I mean by that is, I don't know when it happened, but somewhere along the line, I think in the history of the church, we've come to define church as a place you go, as a program that you watch. And that was never the definition biblically. Um, the church has always been uh, the people, the community of people that look to Jesus as Lord of their life. And that's never required a building. As a matter of fact, you know, Jesus didn't put his name on a temple. He didn't put his name on a synagogue. He never said, hey, I have this great parable that I want to share, but you have to come see me this weekend to hear it. You know, he was always out among the people healing and teaching and performing miracles. And so I believe that the work that my team is doing is really returning the church to a biblical model of church. There's nothing wrong with a building. There's nothing wrong with a building because, I mean, my husband and I, we pastor a church but we cannot see the building as the church. Uh, the building is the place where the church gathers. And so Facebook becomes the place where people can connect to the community of believers 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and continue to grow in their faith. And that's ultimately what discipleship is. Gosh, I feel like we're coming back full circle because when we started this, I said, you know, so many of us, that especially are following me here, we do business together. We're mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, right? But a lot of us, many of us are either looking or trying to find faith or mm -hmm. already are using our platform as a place to share our faith. And mm -hmm. so, um, because I believe exactly what you're saying, I believe I could be a pastor in a church, but I believe I can use my platform in this business yep. that God's given me as a greater 
That's opportunity to reach more people that may never come into the church because they've already got all these beliefs and set of thoughts about that. But um, so I, you guys, I, I hope you're hearing what she's saying. And um, many of us use social media to build our businesses. And you have a little quote that you say, let me find this little quote, because <laughs> it doesn't matter how many followers you have, if those followers aren't following Jesus through you. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, I, when I first got into my role, so let me tell you why this first of all is just crazy that I'm in the role that I'm in. Um, I didn't work in technology before Facebook called me and no lie, Facebook called me. I did not apply for this job. was not thinking about Facebook. Um, I can't get into the long story, but just say this, just suffice this. Uh, they called me 25 minutes after I resigned from a job that I loved because the Lord literally told me to resign from that job and told me the day to resign. And so 25 minutes afterwards, they called me, but, um, I had no background, um, in this. However, my heart is for ministry. And so when I first got into the role, I remember uh, talking with a bunch of pastors and influencers and they kept saying to me, they said, Hey, can you get me verified now? I didn't know what verification even was. That's why this is so crazy. I didn't know what verification was. They were just like, will you get me verified? And I was like, okay, well, what, like, what is it? They were like, oh, it's the blue check. And so I I learned about verification and I learned that it's basically just a methodology that most social platforms use to try to demonstrate authenticity um, of a person. So you get the blue check because, you know, you're very famous and people, you know, may impersonate you for nefarious reasons. So the more I learned about that, what I realized because I was being asked like to verify people who didn't have a really large following and they weren't subject to impersonation. What I learned is that there were many people who were essentially equating the blue check with their notoriety. And so they were like, if I don't have a blue check, then I must not matter. And the Lord said to me, cause there were people who were like, I have more followers than this other person who's verified. And the Lord said to me, it doesn't matter how many followers you have if they're not following me through you. If, if they're not following me, it's like, what's the point? And I was like, oh man, that's so true. Instead of amassing our following and we can't lead people anywhere. I mean, we could point people to the cross, but we have no power in and of ourselves. It was like, they need to be following Jesus through us. And so that's why, even if you look at my, my Instagram, my Facebook page and all that, I really try to point people back to the cross, like constantly, you know, um, very rarely I may share. I also do like some fitness posts that try to inspire people to be healthy, but very rarely am I like, Hey, y'all look at me and look at what I'm doing and all, because I, I want people to always be pointed back to the cross because that's where power is. Um, I'm not trying to build my following. I'm really trying to lead people to, to Jesus. Ooh, so, so good. I'm not kidding you that when, when we first, the pandemic first hit, Nona. Um, you guys, we're just letting you in on a little conversation between two girlfriends because this is like a gift to me and it's not even my birthday that I get to <laughs> like this, Nona, for a while. But when we went into quarantine, the first time, you know, when the pandemic first hit, I remember just hearing all around me fear, right? Just yeah. people frozen in fear and panic. And um, in my position, I, immediately, I think of the people that God has given me to shepherd. I think of yeah. my children. Um, and so I was just praying, Lord, <laughs> there's no playbook for this. And how on earth do we equip people to just trust you, to put their faith in you, both with their finances, both with um, just their health and mm-hmm. everything in between. And I kid you not, Nona, the Lord said to me, I want you to go live on Facebook every, sing- every single day. 
you know, the same time. And I was like, every single day. <laughs> and, um, and, and like almost a dependence on him for me was, I don't mind talking. I have no problem talking, but I was like, what am I going to say every day? What kind of value? Like I, there's, I don't have a book pre-written up and guiding me along. I literally got up early every morning, mm. went to God's word, allowed him to fill me with a message for his people. And for over six months, I went live Saturday or Monday through Saturday. We took off Sunday for Sabbath. We really honored Sabbath and we just met together. And it was just to encourage, equip and empower people through this season. And I didn't know how long God was going to ask me to do it. But after about six months, you know, he definitely let me off the hook, but that led to the women at the well group where we literally dive into the word every morning together. And um, that's been transforma- transformative for me. And so, you know, I say that to you because for many of us that are, you know, working our business and pointing people to the cross, I want you to know that sometimes we don't even know how he's going to use something, but as long as we're obedient, when he asks us to do something, he will build the professional side and the platform side, both together, because that's just how he does things. Um, I've noticed, at least that's been my experience. That's good. No, you're absolutely right. Um, And I think that that obedience is what allows the spirit to work through you. I have found, it's it's true throughout the Bible. Um, I have found that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Um, Those who are willing to just be like, okay. I mean, to your point, you're like, look, I don't have a book. Like, I don't, I don't have like a, a list of like reflections. And, and so you have to rely on the Lord, like in that moment to be like, all right, God, I'll be obedient. Now, what, what are we doing? Um, <laughs> well, and he, and he works through you. <laughs> well, what would you say to people who are afraid of losing their following if they start talking about their faith more on their platform? Well, I think you have to ask yourself. Um, what, what is your greatest assignment in life? Like is your greatest assignment in life, uh, to be the type of person who people follow, uh, to a place that has no power or is your greatest assignment in life to be the type of person that leads people to a place where they can receive healing and deliverance and restoration. And I think there is a way to share your faith. I mean, it's so funny we're even having this conversation. Um, So there's a a colleague at Facebook um, and from time to time, people will just set up time on my calendar just to meet with me. But there was a colleague at Facebook, uh, literally I just met with her right before this, who she set some time to meet with me. We had never met. And she said, you know, Nona, she said, uh, I wanted to meet with you, she said, because I follow your Instagram. And she said, uh, I am not a person of faith. She said, uh, I guess I'm agnostic. She said, I really don't know. She said, but, you know, as I watch what you post, you know, it's always so inspiring to me. And I just wanted to just learn more about, about you and about your faith. And she said, because I feel like I'm just kind of searching, but I don't know what I'm searching for. Now, imagine... what would have happened if I didn't talk about my faith so openly, right? So this person who has no consciousness of God, um, you know, she doesn't follow other people who are talking about Jesus, but she just set time because she'd been following me and I didn't even know she was following me. I had no idea. So I say that to encourage you, don't worry about who may stop following you. Just keep your mind on the, the fact that there are people following you who they need to know about your faith because they're not getting it from anywhere else. Well, it reminds me of, we think success or a following is based on the numbers, but again, you guys want to talk about the impact. (laughs) I want to talk about the significance. And I think too often we get 
we get uh, caught up in the numbers and we fail to remember the impact we're trying yes. to make. Right? So, so true. All right. So let's transition for a minute because you recently founded Faith and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit guiding. So I want to make sure that we get some time to talk about this, especially in the world we're living in right now between politics and social yes. injustice. And I really am excited to have you share your heart behind this a little bit. Oh, well, thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, so let me say, so earlier we talked about all this, all the stuff I have going on, all the hats I wear. Um, it was never part of my design or desire to launch a social justice organization. Like that was not at all um, on my mind. And then, um, you know, the summer of 2020, George Floyd was murdered. We were all home and there was just this national just kind of uh, awakening to um, injustice uh, around people of color. And uh, I noticed that a number of pastors were going on Instagram and Facebook and they were having these conversations about race. And then I had uh, a number of pastors reach out to me and they were like, hey, will you send us a message or, you know, do a podcast or something about race? And um I realized that I could do that, but it felt like there was an opportunity to do something bigger because that was kind of ad hoc. And so as I was praying and asking God for wisdom, he just laid on my heart to use Facebook, the Facebook platform, to bring the church, his church, the Big C Church, to the same table to get educated on these issues together. And so Faith and Prejudice was really born just out of a week of, you know, Facebook Live conversations with civil rights leaders and theologians and scholars to try to illuminate a history that many people just simply were not aware of. And uh, I think the reason why it matters so much is you, you, you're right. When we start talking about race, the conversation tends to deteriorate into political corners. But, you know, 30% of Americans identify as Republican, 31% identify as Democrat, but 65% identify as Christian. And that's more than both major political parties combined. And so I think the revelation that the Lord gave me, even from those numbers, is that change won't happen in the halls of Congress until it first happens in the heart of the church. Um, the church is is the vast majority of, of the country. And so there has been a historic uh, pattern of injustice that has showed up in present day. And I think the, the best thing that we can do as people who love the Lord is, is be the example of mercy and justice, um, be the example of kindness, be the example of restoration. Um, instead of you know denying it and, and even blaming people who bring it up, I think we have to show that we care about these issues because the next generation, they're watching. They're watching. The largest, fastest growing religious segment in America right now is called the Religious Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. These are people who say they have no religious affiliation. And the largest percentage driving that increase are millennials and Generation Z. Wow. And part of the reason why they say that they're identifying as none, many of them have come out of the church because they say these issues, they're seeing how people are responding. And they're like, I don't want to be identified with something like that. They're not leaving Jesus They're not leaving their Christian faith, but they're leaving the church. So Faith and Prejudice exists uh, to equip and mobilize local churches uh, to begin confronting and dismantling systemic racism at the local level so that we can show the world that Jesus cares about justice because he does. Yeah, absolutely. He does. So what are some actions 
faith and prejudice. I, I hear you saying you're equipping and mobilizing. Yeah. Um, for those of us that may not be involved with the church who is using faith mm-hmm. and prejudice or what are some of the practical things we can do on our level um, yeah. to help contribute? Well, first and foremost, very important, I think is, is really understanding historical context. Um, so much, you know, I, I grew up in the public school system and I think many of us did. And so what we know is basically what we've been taught, but what we've been taught is not even 1% uh, of, of what has happened. Um, as, as a personal example, um, you know, there have been people who have said, well, you know, systemic racism is, isn't real because there are no laws in the books right now that um, are creating systemic injustice. Well, you have to go back uh, to see how it shows up in the present. My grandfather, he fought uh, in World War II. And when he came home, uh, he could not access a GI loan to purchase a home for his family or even go to college because he was black. And so uh, he was denied uh, a loan from banks that specifically said that they would not give money to black people, like specifically said that. Well, even if he could get the funds, there was another issue because the federal government had uh, housing policies that prevented black families from purchasing homes in communities with new homes that were built by the government. So you you talk about, for example, subsidized housing. A lot of times people think subsidized housing in this modern day, oh, that's predominantly black, it's the projects. Well, subsidized housing started out uh, as federally funded homes, brand new homes that were given to veterans uh, at very, very low rates so that their family could buy them and they could appreciate well, those homes did appreciate uh, those veterans. If you were white, you could go to college on a GI loan. Um, they ended up being able to do that. Those homes appreciated when black veterans could not buy those homes, could not go to college. And so my grandfather, he had nothing to leave his children. As a matter of fact, he left his children debt and his children couldn't go to college. Like my mother, she wasn't able to go to college. Um, and so they ended up having to pay money for funerals. Um, and they couldn't pass any wealth forward to my generation. And so I have friends who their pa- their families paid for their college. You know, I, my family couldn't contribute a penny to my college. And that's just a manifestation. So educate yourself on the historical context. And then I think you have to be intentional. Be intentional um, as you're thinking about uh, supplier diversity. If you own a company or even if you don't and you're making purchases, think about supporting Black-owned businesses. You know, there are entrepreneurs in your community who would love, love your business. Um, And then in the legal world, a lot of times uh, we see a lot of inequity in the criminal justice system because disproportionately, unfortunately, uh, we know that black, uh, black people are being charged with uh, significantly harsher sentences and crimes. And so talk to your district attorney, learn more about how those charges are being applied across the board. And then you can use your voice in order to speak up. Well, I know uh, the death of George Floyd was a huge awakening for me in my personal life. Um, I happen to have three black godsons. And mm-hmm. I just, this this is part ignorant. This is part protecting my, you know, what comes in my ears and through my eyes. I don't watch the news. I yeah. don't scroll yeah. on social media. I, it's just kind of like one of those things that I have put those boundaries around myself. And so when the uh, killing of George Floyd happened, I almost didn't know it happened until somebody reached out to me via a text message and said, unless there was a foot on one of my godson's necks, 
They don't mm-hmm. think I'd even pay attention. I was like, what? Like, or I would say anything. And I just, I didn't know. And then once I realized I went, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. have the knowledge. I don't have, um, I feel sad. Like my heart is breaking. Yeah. And so I just started reaching out and asking a lot of questions. And I like, I like what you said about just educating yourself and then yeah. starting to be more intentional. So as we educate ourselves, do you have any, maybe one of your favorite podcasts we could follow, maybe um, recommend a book that we should yeah. read? Yeah, my, my good friend, uh, Tasha Morrison, she uh, has a book called uh, Be the Bridge. Love that book. Um, really thinking about injustice through a biblical lens. It's a fantastic book. And she also has a lot of curriculum uh, around it, uh, which I think is great. So that's one of the books that I always recommend to people to read because you just, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And I think the way that she explains it is, is so great. Uh, but that's, that's one I would definitely recommend, um, starting with. And then another friend of mine, um, pastor Miles McPherson, he has a book called the third option, which is another wonderful book. Uh, because many times, people think that the options are either to, you know, be, you know, super defensive and, and, or to be silent. It's like, no, there's a third option. And I would say, um, just, I mean, anything from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is is awesome. He has a book, um, um, that talks about, um, you know, so what's, what's, what's next, where do we go from here? Uh, chaos or community. That's, that's one of the books that I strongly recommend as well. So I think within those three, you'll have a a pretty good, pretty good understanding. Um, And many of the things that he said that Dr. King wrote in um, where do we go from here are still relevant today. And I'm like, that was written almost 60 years ago. So it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. Well, so I have two questions to kind of end our time together. And obviously you can take this where you want to, but um, this might be repetitive, but as a white Christian woman, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I want something practical that I can leave yeah. our time together today to get more involved um, yeah. in, in ending systemic racism. Yeah, I think um, in many instances, we think that the issue is so big, like it's just so big and there's nothing I can do. Um, as an individual, um, there are many things you can do. First, pray. I think everything really requires prayer because listen, racism has been a part of the human condition Uh, even going back to the Bible, in the book of Galatians, uh, the apostle Paul rebukes the apostle Peter because of something that he did that was very much so racist against Gentiles. Um, But pray and ask God to give you wisdom on how you can use your unique skills and talents and resources in order to make a difference. I think second, um, as I had mentioned, I think being really intentional about where you're investing your money, you know, Um, thinking about, okay, you know, are there maybe black owned businesses in this area that I could invest in, um, that I could purchase my supplies from in order to support um, the black economy? I think uh, offering yourself up as, as a mentor also. Um, there are many great mentorship programs, you know, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, Junior Achievement. There's all types of programs. Um, offering yourself up as a mentor for them would be amazing. Um, but then also just being a voice of, of, Conciliation. Many times the word reconciliation is used. And the problem is reconciliation presumes that everything was okay at one point and then it just broke and now we have to get back to it being okay. We started broken. 
<laughs> and so what conciliation does is it recognizes that and it says, all right, I'm going to be part of the, the solution. Um, so when you see, you know, people starting to go off the deep end, or even if you have family or friends that are saying things that aren't right or harsh, just speak up, speak up. And like, you know what, that's, that's not quite how Jesus would have us to, to speak. That's not how Jesus would have us to act uh, and being that voice um, in, in that situation. Oh, that's really good. It's funny. My, um, I have a cousin who prior to the killing of George Floyd, I didn't even know this, but she's got one of the largest, um, and I want to say this correctly, but she's a human rights activist. She's a white mm-hmm. woman that mm-hmm. speaks to um, systemic racism. Mm-hmm. And so she said that became an issue and she was able to gift that over to a black woman. But at the same time, I didn't even know she's in my family, you know, like uh, I didn't even know yeah. that she had been doing this work and living yeah. in this work um, for so long. But I love those book recommendations. So I'll make sure and get my hands on those as well. What would you say to those here today that for the first time after hearing us talk are like, you know what, I'm ready to start sharing my faith through mm-hmm. my social media influence. We all have influence, whether we're in business for ourselves or not. We all are on social media all day long throughout the day for one reason or another anyways. Yeah. Well, I would say first understand that um, Jesus is the, the light of the world. He's the hope of the world. And this world it feels very hopeless, uh, especially right now. Um, so as you start to, to begin to share your faith, start by sharing hope, you know, share the hope of Jesus. Um, so people know that there is another way, you know, yes, the news may seem like everything's just falling apart and everything's just literally going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> um, but, uh, we know Romans eight and 28 tells us that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So share the hope. um, And uh, I would say invite people to reach out to you with questions. Uh, Invite prayer. That's one of the the easiest ways to uh, have people let you know that they need help is just ask, how can I pray for you on a regular basis? You know, how can I pray for you? People who are connected to me. Um, And then progressively from there, just talk more about Jesus specifically, sharing verses of scripture that are speaking to you. Um, and, and people will be drawn to that. So, um, and just again, pray for clarity and wisdom and God will give it to you. Okay. So the, the, you talking what you just did, there was actually something I wanted to tell you. I'm just finishing up literally this week, the last day of week six of Beth Moore's redone version of the Galatians Bible study. Have you heard of that one? I have not. No. You're going to want to take a look at it because Beth Moore, it's a redo. You know, it's like a 2.0 version that she wrote with her daughter. But she talks about systemic racism and the church. I mean, she hits it right on the head in much of what you were just talking about with Paul confronting Peter. But I mean, she just put it out there. And I know she's been getting a little bit of a backlash um, for being so bold. But I'm telling you, it was really good. So I'm just I will pick it up. Yeah. It was a, it was a very, it's been a very good Bible study, one that I'll have to do again for sure. Well, Nona, I didn't want our time together to come to an end and hopefully we'll have some opportunities to continue to work together moving forward. But anything else you want to say while you have the, the camera rolling um, to our audience or to me? You know, I first just want to say thank you for your, for this ministry, because this is a ministry. So mm-hmm. thank you for this ministry. Um, and I guess to everyone who's watching 
I just want to encourage you. I know things are so crazy right now, but you have it in you. Uh, you have exactly what it takes to get through this and thrive through this. Um, so don't feel like, you know, you're not going to make it because you're not only going to make it, you're going to thrive through it. So just, uh, just be encouraged. And thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Hopefully we'll get you back. I know you said you're currently working on your third book. Yes. So we'll be excited to see that one come out as well. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, thank you, Nona. Have an awesome afternoon. I know you enjoyed today's podcast as much as I did. Whether you are a newbie or a longtime listener, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Cami Pentecost.